Some of what's said today will be on the screens. Much of it will not, but that's okay because it's all in one place in your Bible, which is the back. So it's really easy to find. So if you have a Bible, go to literally the last page or two of the text, which is Revelation 20 um, and 20 through 22. It's the last couple of chapters, and we're going to cover them. So I'm going to come at you pretty quick today. We're covering a lot. Make notes. You can go back, or you can go back and listen to the podcast or the video if you want to go back and catch up on something. Um, but we've been talking about the story of God, as Deidre mentioned, for a while. And we started with God before creation. So recapping really quick. And we haven't covered every word of the Bible, as she said. We've covered the story. And we've just kind of been following God through his word. And we started with who is God before and looked at what he, who he was and what his character is from his own word. And then he created all things. He created the universe. He created the stars. He created the earth. He created mankind, created animals, created all these things. And he gave Adam and Eve dominion and rule over the earth. Adam and Eve chose to do that apart from him. So there's only one rule that keeps you submissive to me. Don't choose this tree. And of all the, I give you, it's so like us. Why would God do that? Why would God say we can't have that one tree? Why would God do whatever? It's just like us, isn't it? He gave you the whole entire earth. And you say, well, why can't we have that one? And they chose to eat it anyway, deceived by the devil, and uh, who was already an enemy of God. And mankind was r- roped into this battle that's been going on spiritually for who knows how long. And sin entered the world. Death entered the world. So from the beginning, there's death. And we'll come back to this in a quick minute. But, but. God promised Eve, even in that moment, that a child from her own body would bring salvation, would bring redemption, would bring restoration, would end death. And and we get that because as we read along, you get more and more about what this child is going to do. But it's not her first kid. She has a couple of children, uh, Cain and Abel. But Cain does what to Abel? Kills him, right? And so Abel is gone. Cain is a murderer. And so this this seed has yet to come. This child from her has yet to come. And then she has another kid, Seth. Uh, and then Seth begins to have children. And more and more children go down and more children go down until we come to a time period where the earth has gotten pretty wicked, sins out of control. God decides to destroy the world in a flood. But because he made a promise to Eve... He's keeping this child alive, this promise of this child alive through one family. Who's the man? Noah, right. So he keeps his promise alive through Noah. So he preserves Noah's family uh, in a, we call it, a, the Bible calls it an ark. It's a boat. You know, that's the long and short of it. He builds a boat. He survives a flood in a boat. It's a heck of a boat, but it's a boat, right? And he survives the world, the flood in a boat. God preserves animal life as well. You know the story. On the other side of the flood, uh, Ad, uh, Noah, excuse me, and his family begin to have children and grow again and reproduce on the earth as do the animals and, and populate the earth. But sin is still there. Death is still there and it continues. And over time, uh, that sin grows. The people spread out. Sin starts to move across the globe. Uh, but God's keeping his promise. So God zeroed in on one particular family. Uh, he comes down from Noah through generations and generations until Noah has a son named uh, uh, Abraham. Not a direct son, but son many lineages down. 
Abraham. And God calls this son Abraham and says, come here, I'm going to, I have a place in particular that I want you to come to where I'm going to meet you and I'm going to be with you, land that we know as the land of Israel. Uh, Abraham follows God by faith and he comes to this piece of land and Abraham then there in that piece of land makes a covenant with God and God says basically that this child of promise from Eve so many years later now is going to come from you. And he he is going to redeem nations of people, not just you and your children, but the world, nations of people. And so it's going to come from your family. And God now really zeroes in on a family. So Abraham has uh, kids, two kids, right? Who are they? He actually has more. Give me one of them. Isaac, thank you, yeah. Isaac and, and, and Ishmael's the other, but he has Isaac. He has other kids too, but Isaac is the one that God promised to, to him. And it's a big deal because Abraham's wife is barren. She can't have kids. So it's a miracle that she has a kid to begin with. And second of all, she's old when she had. They're both old. Like God intentionally waited until they were impossibly old for this whole thing to happen, for God to prove this is the kid that I'm talking about because it's a miracle. This is Eve's promise. And so then this kid grows up, and this kid has kids. Who are they? Coming to it. Yeah, Jacob and Esau, right? And so then Jacob, Jacob, his name is changed to Israel. They're also miracle children, too. Their mother couldn't have kids. And then Jacob has, uh, Jacob has how many kids? Twelve, yep, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and they become the twelve tribes of Israel. The only reason they're called tribes is because they're twelve families who just make more and more and more, but they stay together. So unlike us, we move all over the place away from our families, but they stay together. So you 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 got this massive family, but you say, well, I'm from this son, or I'm from this son. Well, they just became the tribes of Israel, and then that grew well they the story goes on i'm not going to give you every little detail they end up in in uh, bondage in egypt as a family but now they've grown into this nation uh and they end up in egypt they end up in bondage and slavery there god raises up who moses right and sends moses to deliver them they god delivers them back out of egypt returns them back to the prom this land that he promised to abraham way back when and uh, they come into this land led by Joshua, who is kind of a soul. He's not kind of. He is a soldier, commander, warrior, but he's super faithful to the Lord. And they come in and they conquer all these uh, enemy of God people, pagan people that are in this land now. And they reclaim it uh, and they live there. But they're in this cycle of unfaithfulness. Like for a while, they do really good with faithfulness to God. God, thank you for delivering us from Egypt. Thank you for all these things. But then they also turn around and start worshiping other gods and doing other things and getting caught up in other parts of life. You know the story. And this cycle goes, and God raises up judges that basically are uh, people that kind of stand for the people. They're almost like soldiers on one part and governors on the other. And they, they lead the people to repent and to get straight and to get focused on God. But then after a while, they drift right back into it again. And then he'll raise another one up. And you have a whole book of those judges. And then after that, he brings kings because the people want a king. But they already had a king. Who was their king? Who was the people's real king? 
God, right? They already had that. But God said, if you want a human king like everybody else, fine, I'll give you one. So he gives them Saul first, who's kind of a rotten dude. And then they, God raises up David. And when God raises up David, God points at David, just like he did Abraham. And God says, this is going to be the family from the fam- bigger family now, from the big 12 tribes. We're going to zoom back in again, and now it's going to be David's family, Judah, from that tribe is going to come this promise to Eve. And just as David is king, he's going to be the king. He's going to be the king of kings. He's going to be the one that claims his throne. And God continues to work and fulfill his promise. And years go by. And you follow this cycle of repentance and whatever on and on. The people rebel continuously. Ultimately, God exiles them from their own land he raises up babylon historical fact 586 bc babylon comes in destroys all of israel and jerusalem takes them captive back to babylon for how long you know 70 years let's go man the pros over here with my crew i know 70 years right and so for 70 years they're in bondage but after 70 years he'd promised they would come back and they do uh and God does other amazing things during that time period. You have Esther, this amazing woman that he raised up to save the people. It's all these cool little stories. But eventually, even though all that happened, the people go right back into sin again. And so God says, nothing. For 400 years, nothing. People have no idea what God thinks or cares about or wants to know or nothing for 400 years. No prophet, no preachers, no nothing for 400 years. Is he still there? Does he still care? Is he still around? Is the promise to Eve still good? It's been thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years since Eve. And now 400 years of nothing. Think America is not even close to that old. Think of how long 400 years is. Nothing. And then suddenly... There's a star in the sky in Bethlehem that doesn't make sense. And the whole world is drawn to what is going on. And there's a baby born to a woman who has not been with a man. An impossible scenario, much like Abraham and his wife. Although it was natural, it was also impossible. Much like with Isaac and his wife, although it was natural, it was impossible And now here you have not natural and not possible. Yet this woman has this child and it is this promised child. She is from the tribe of Judah. And this baby is raised up and this baby's name is Jesus and he grows and he lives on the earth. And it becomes quickly apparent that this is not just a normal child, that this is literally the son of God. And he begins to make that more and more known through unbelievable miracles. Not just healing the sick, raising the dead dead like things that are witnessed not in the corner he didn't raise the dead in the corner he raised the dead in front of crowds mass amount of people like it's easy for us to scoff at that but you forget that he did this in front of everybody everybody saw it it wasn't hidden in the corner and all of these people had it not been true could have easily said you're making that up you're making that up that didn't happen nobody saw that he never did that no they all said yeah he did that even if i hate him i still have to admit he did that And so this man, though, goes to a cross, ultimately, which made no sense to anybody. Why would he be the king and do all this and yet go to a cross? Because the fact is, what he was coming to battle was what Eve and Adam had failed, and that was sin. 
That was death. Their greatest enemy became death. From the moment Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they, death entered their world, and no human sense has been able to stop that until this person. And he, in order to defeat death, must face death. You can't defeat something you don't face. So he faced death. He took sin on himself. He went to a cross. He was nailed to it. Uh, and there was nothing holy about the cross. The holy was the one on it. The cross was a piece of torture, an instrument of torture. It just happened to be that that was the case at the time. And suffered unimaginably, died, put in a grave. And it's all over again. Now what? God's silent again for three days this time, though. And then, boom, the world shakes. The grave opens. And out comes this same person. Not a glowing space alien. The same person. The same body. The same scars. The same person. He did not come back a ghost and say there's something after life. He came back and said, I have beaten death. I am now alive again, myself. Uh, And because of that, then he tells his disciples, these guys who are following him, you now have the power over death through me. By faith in me, you now have the power over you need fear death no longer. Death cannot have you because you belong to me. And when he said that, he empowered them to share that with others, to tell the world, there's hope. You don't have to die. And he gave this hope to them and empowered them to gather to worship and to share that truth and to equip others to understand that truth and to follow Christ. And that became the church. And then the church became the story through all of the New Testament, which we've covered. Jesus returned to where he came from when all this started, to be with the Father. In heaven, wherever heaven is, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like that's outer space or what does that mean? I don't know. But wherever it is, that's where he went. Promising he would come again. Promising he would come again. Not just to scoop us up, but to establish what Adam and Eve lost. So he saved death, but now to give back this kingdom that he created. Every day he created, what did he say after it? It's good. Right? So he came, he promised to come back to make that the case. So there's your story, man. That's it. Cover to cover, all the way to the end. And Revelation is looking forward to that day when he comes back. Um, and we've already talked through Revelation a little. We skimmed it really fast. I am not going to detail into Revelations that, that much because I don't have the time. We're not studying Revelation. We're studying what I just told you in 10 minutes the story of God. So. What we are going to do is we're going to cover a little. If you want to hear more, or you want to lay into Revelation, then I've got a podcast online. You can go listen to it, or you can ask me. I can give you some reputable people to listen to if you want to or follow or check into. Uh, if you want to know more, you can ask me, and I'll tell you how to find more on that if you want a verse-by-verse detail. But that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is zooming in on the end here. And I'll tell you this going in really quick. Um, if you open the news, it's always depressing, ain't it? It's almost always depressing. It's always somebody killed. It's always somebody shot. It's always a fight. It's always a war, 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 war everywhere, war all the time. And everybody seems to think that if they would just do it my way, that would not be a problem anymore. 
Or if we could just elect the person I think, then peace would come to the world. Or if just these people would just do what these people want, then there would be no more fighting. But that's not been the case. Do you know that Adam and Eve went from eating that fruit, their kids' murder entered the world. Do you realize how fast sin went from zero to a million? From biting a piece of fruit to murder in less than a generation. And that was way back then. I don't know what makes us think we're going to just suddenly have a guy or a woman that's going to fix it all. And everybody's going to say, man, I'm glad you're in charge because, man, you got to figure it. That's not going to happen. But when Jesus comes, that's going to change things. Uh, I always give you like a signpost in the road to follow. And we're going to go through this really quick. I told you it's going to come like a fire hydrant. That's all right. You've got the Bible in your hand. Uh, signpost to kind of go with is this. If paradise is eternity in the presence of God then everything we do now should be drawing us closer to him. It's pretty clear cut. That's not scripture. That's just me talking. But just keep that idea in your brain while we kind of read through this. And regardless of what your end time scenario is, regardless of what you think Revelation is supposed to look like, regardless of where you stand on all that stuff, everyone agrees on pretty much three things. Jesus will come. Jesus will judge. And there will be an eternal paradise on the other side of that for those whose faith are in him. Right, pretty much lays in that. So go to chapter 20 quickly. And I'm reading a good bit, but you've got a Bible. You can go back and read this yourself too. Chapter 20, verse 10. It says, And the devil who had deceived the people was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were. If that's confusing, go back to last week. We, those are just two characters that were defying against God on the earth in, the, in these times that are yet to come. And they'll be tormented day and night forever. So the devil, the beast, false prophet, all three of these evil individuals that led nations astray are thrown into this place of torment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. So what's more important is the one seated on it than the throne. And from his presence, not the throne, from the presence of the one on it, the earth and the sky fled and there was no place found for them. Basically meaning he filled all of your vision. He's so massive. He's so overwhelming that there's you, you can see nothing but him. Verse 14. I'm skipping. I know I'm skipping. It's fine. We're going to cover a lot. The death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Point is, they have no more purpose. The grave, the place of the dead, none of that has any more purpose now. It's been conquered. It's been done. Christ has returned. This is after that. We talked about it last week. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Nobody likes that. There it is. Don't care what you feel about it. Bible says it. So you can wrestle with God on it if you want, not me. But I will tell you this. No believers will be standing there in this moment. You know how I know that? I can give you a bunch of reasons. But his word is full of it. The best one ever. Easy verse. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right now. If your faith is in Christ, there is nobody to condemn you right now. Because he's been condemned for you. Oh, Dave, man, I heard you cuss the other day, man. You were at that football game. You lost your temper and you cussed. Yeah, Jesus paid for that. I don't say that. He says that. I don't say that. I, I'm not prideful enough to say that. All I say is you're right. I was wrong. But God says Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for that. I don't stand at this moment. Because Jesus paid for these things. 
Is my name written in the book? Oh, for sure. I didn't write it there. It's the Lamb's book. The Lamb is who paid for it. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so he says, verse 1 of chapter 21, I'm skimming quickly through some of this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven had passed away. First heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more or no longer existed. So quick question, if he's just going to erase it all, why work to redeem it all? That whole long 10-minute story I just told you, why go through all of that if you're just going to erase it all and start all over again? And some believe that's the case. There's passages in the Bible that hint at it, like it's going to be burned up and it's going to be made new. I don't really believe that. I don't think it's going to be obliterated and started over, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Here's a few verses. They should be up here, Psalm 148, 5. Let them, let all creation, the stars, moon, the animals, everything, praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them, what does it say? Forever and ever, right? He gave a decree and it won't pass away. It's not going away. Like he established them to be there. Psalm 96.10 says, tell this among the nations, tell the world. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It will never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. It won't ever be moved, but he will judge them justly. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the seas roar and all that fills the sea, all the fish. Let the fields exalt and everything in them. Then the tr- then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy because the Lord is coming to judge the earth. Why would those things I know it's being figurative, but why would those things be excited if he was coming to annihilate the earth and wipe it out of existence? They're not. They're excited that he's coming. Uh, John MacArthur said, new does not mean new in a chronological sense, but new in quality. They're not really, the, the new heaven and new earth don't merely succeed the present one. They're a new fresh one. I lean into that camp. Uh, the reason why is because the same word used for new heaven and new earth, even in the passages that talk about it being burned and stuff, is the same word that Paul used in Second Corinthians 5.17 when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That means the guy you're looking at is a new creation. I'm not the old Dave. But it, I look a lot worse than the older Dave. The older Dave was a younger, much younger guy. You know what I mean? So now I got wrinkles and all that other kind of thing. But I'm new. But I can tell you the old Dave, if you knew him, you have no idea we were the same person. He was a filthy drug addict. It was horrible to everybody. You, you would never, I don't know who that guy is half the time. I'm just glad he's dead. You know what I'm saying? So new is a different kind of thing. And there's more than that, actually, because one day we get a new body. So the wrinkly stuff, I don't have to sweat that no more. We get a body that's like Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, as I mentioned to you, he rose bodily. He had a body. Now, he still had some scars and stuff because of what he did. But he had a unique body. Uh, and you can read all about that in your own. Go back to the Gospels and read about what he looked like. Paul says we'll be like that. We'll have this unique kind of body. We won't be... Uh, full of imperfections we, what, as we see them, will be created in the... How did he create Adam and Eve? Create them in the image of God. And we'll be like that again. I don't know what that perfectly means. I just know that we'll also be in the image of Christ, which is what we are now. It says that the sea will be no more. That could be very literal. There's no more sea on the planet. 
Uh, I don't know. I kind of like that. I'm an Old Testament guy. I love Hebrew history and culture. And so there's a Hebrew belief that the sea was cursed um, during the fall. Like when Adam and Eve sinned, the sea became cursed. Because, then this does kind of make sense in a wild way. Think of how much of the earth is covered by water that's undrinkable. And how many people on the planet die of poor drinking water and thirst. Um, we can't have salt water. We have to have the fresh water, right? But there's so much water on the earth. So you'll see in a minute, but from the throne comes a river of fresh living water. And the Hebrew belief is that that water turns all of the sea to fresh. So the water becomes abundantly useful to everyone. Don't know if that's true. You'd be like, oh, what does that mean for the fish? You know, I look, come on, man. I'm, let's get past all that. He created it. We're talking about something new, right? Um, verse 2, chapter 21, verse 2, and I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This would be kind of the capital city, not like heaven, heaven. This is a city. Prepared. Prepared. It's already ready. Jesus said to his disciples, I go to what? Prepare you a place. My idea is it's been prepared, and now he's returning. And it says, as a bride adorned for her husband. So is it figurative or is it literal? Yes, I think. Um, we talk about Phoenix. If I said Phoenix is a big city, you might picture the map. Yes, it's a big city. If I said Phoenix is a friendly city are you picturing a map you're picturing people but i'm still talking about phoenix so the idea here i think is that this is a a people called the bride of christ but it's also a place it's a a thing in verse three it says and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them just think about that man in camp is what that means. Tabernacle in the Old Testament. Same word. He will tabernacle. He will camp, man. And they will be his people and God himself. I love that it says himself. It didn't just say God. It's saying God himself. So in the Old Testament, you saw the angel in the burning bush that was God. You heard the voice and the fire from heaven on the mountain that was God. You saw Jesus, a man, but God. He's expressed himself in so many ways throughout Scripture, but in this moment, fully knowing who he is and seeing him. Not equal, not that kind of knowing, but fully being able to see an expression of who he is as Jehovah or Yahweh. And he'll be with them as their God. I remember when I was a kid uh, in church growing up, and I got way out of church for a long time. But growing up in the church as a kid, I remember in the South especially... You used to always hear the talks about heaven and all these adults talking about the streets. Only two things. Streets of gold and my mansion in heaven. That's like the two things that I, you ever hear anybody talk about. Um, and then as I got older, you still hear it being talked about, but they get more customized. Like, I'm going to have a cabin. I want it on the lake. You know, whatever else. And it's funny because if you ever read C.S. Lewis' book, The Great Divorce, that's exactly how he describes hell. Your dream house, everything you want, streets of gold, house wherever you want it to be, your house, everything you want for you is yours in, in hell. 
You can read the book yourself. If you think heaven might be a disappointment over your crib, then you're probably not going there. I'm just saying, because the people who feel heaven only care about the king of heaven. That's it. Like, that's all that they're interested in is is him. Because he gave them mansions? Because they're streets of gold? No, because he gave them life. I'm a piece of trash, y'all. I don't mind telling you. Like, if you walk into my past, this man is not worth saving. I promise you that. To save me is one thing. To go to a cross and suffer and die when you created a universe and could blink me out of existence, that's not, that's unreasonable (laughs) on the nicest way to say it. Man, to be with that guy, man, I'll sleep on the street, bro. I don't care where it's at. You know what I'm saying? And, and, And that's the idea. Will I know my friends? Will my pets be there? I got dogs. I love them. Are they, you're missing the point. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be disappointed. It's not going to happen. It's no disappointment in Christ's paradise. Not because your wishes are granted, but because as 1 John 3, 2 says, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's the dream, y'all. Look back at verse 4. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for or because the former things have passed away. It's not that heaven's the opposite of all bad things. It's that heaven's absent of one thing. Sin. That's what's up. Heaven is absent of sin. All those things are the result of sin. Death, crying, mourning, pain. Look at all those things. Those are the result of sin. You remove sin from the equation, all those things are gone. This is why no man is ever going to fix it, or woman, because we all bring sin into the equation. Again, what makes it paradise? God is present, sin is absent. Period. End of story. God is present, sin is absent. Look at verse 5. And he who's seated on the throne said, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for because these words are trustworthy, they're true. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the same person in chapter 1 who spoke, and there the ink was red. This is Jesus. It's done. That sounds familiar, huh? What do you say on the cross? It's done. It's finished. I am the beginning. I am the end. I was there before it started. I'm here now when it finishes. The story is about me. Hey, that's why we did it, right? The story is about me, start to finish. And I'll give you the spring of water without payment. The one on the throne is Jesus. Isaiah 55, Old Testament, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine, milk, without money, without price. This place is a place where you don't have to buy these things. They're for you. He earned them for you. Psalm 42, 1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And here in this day, the thirst is over. The water is pouring. Pouring. Look at verse 7, chapter 21. The one who conquers will have this inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There is no confusion. 
Verse 10, skipping down. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and having the glory of God, and its radiance was like a rare jewel, like a jasper. Just, just let your brain go wherever it goes. You picture this. Clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gate, at the gates, 12 angels, and on the 12, on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, there were three gates. On the north, three gates. The south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the walls of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Without getting overcomplicated, the foundation is the church, the 12 apostles. And the walls represent Israel, the 12 tribes. The whole foundation built around this whole book, more or less. And the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod and said, go measure it. The measurements, I won't go into them all, it's 15 miles squared at the base. Some say it's a cube. Some say it's a pyramid. Uh, but at the base, it's 15 miles square, 1,500 miles, excuse me, squared. Uh, there's the throne at the top and this river flowing down. You'll see in a second, the walls are 216 feet thick, according to that. Uh, what's with all of that? Is that figurative? Is that made up? Does that symbolize something else? Because uh, it sounds impossible. If you're a mile away from this, you would see, you wouldn't be able to see the top. You'd have to be ten miles away to hopefully even see the top of this thing. That's not possible. Neither is raising the dead. I'm not saying that it's literal or figurative in the moment. What I'm saying is, don't dismiss it just because you can't fathom it. This is a time nobody knows about. What did God do before? If God's eternal, what did He do before He created the universe? What was there, quote, unquote, before the universe? You see what I'm saying? Your head's going to hurt. So don't race to think this is dramatic, weird, or silly. It could very well be a literal thing that the universe now sees as God's capital on this planet. How does that work? What about this? What about that? Thinking wrong. Thinking wrong. Let's keep going. Uh, It says the walls were built of jasper, verse 18. Almost done. I know we're covering a lot, but we're almost there. The, while the city was pure gold like glass, the foundations of the wall of the city are ordained with all kinds of jewels. Verse 21, the 12 gates uh, were 12 pearls. Each gate was made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So this is where those people I spoke of before get the idea of streets of gold and all those kind of things. So is it literally gold or not? Uh, I think it's likely used to illustrate to us something beautiful and amazing and valuable and impossible to describe the wealth of. Because does God need a rock? Know what I'm saying? You could say, well, that's ridiculous. A pearl the size of a gate like that. What kind of clam grew that? I mean, come on, dude. That's not the point. The point is... This thing is priceless to God. Those uh, streets, gold means nothing to him. You understand that? Why does gold mean anything to us? Why didn't copper mean more than gold? Why is silver not more than gold? You know what I'm saying? We've established that gold is going to be the valuable rock. Not God. But God says, because you value gold, let me show you my place. That kind of thing. God doesn't need it, but it's there to tell us how beautiful and rich and amazing he is. Adrian Rogers says the walls are for the glory of God. Because if it's a safe place, what do you need walls for? It's not about security. 
is for his glory in a sense. They're monumental walls that are engraved with the names of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Verse 22, almost done. Chapter 21. I saw a new temple in the city. Its temple in the, is the Lord. I'm sorry. I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord, the God Almighty in the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. Now that doesn't mean, doesn't say they're not there. Didn't say there is no sun or moon. It just said there's no need for them because God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. And by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. So there you can see already the walls are not to keep any, but not a big deal. And there will be no night there in that place. Doesn't mean there's no night anywhere in the universe, but there, no. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So there will still be people on the earth. Just as Adam and Eve were in paradise on the earth. And he says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does detestable or false things. That's because they've already been judged and they're in this place called Lake of Fire. But only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Last little paragraph here. Let's go into chapter 22. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding each month. <clears throat> Leaves for the healing of the nations, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. doesn't mean stamped there. It means that their entire vision and identity is in him. And night will be no more. Darkness was the symbol of judgment or sin. It's gone. There will be... uh, They will need no light of lamp or sun. doesn't say again that it's gone. It just says they won't need the sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So what will eternity be like? If you get too caught up in trying to envision every little rock and stone here and every little thing and every dimension and all these things, you're going to be that person who's looking for your street of gold and your cabin and missing the fact that you're going to see his face and he's going to be there and he's going to wipe away every tear and no sin will enter and no death will be there and no suffering will be there. Well, doesn't sinless perfection mean I know everything? Will you know everything? Will you, be, will you know everything? No, because there's only one who does. That's God. He's the only one all-knowing. So don't think you're going to have all the answers to the mysteries of the universe. That is not the case. You didn't create it. He did. Adam and Eve did not have all the answers to the universe. Sinless sinless perfection doesn't mean omniscience and all-knowing and all that kind of thing. They're still going to learn. People say, oh, well, that sounds boring to me. Like eternity? Like I can't even get my brain around that. We're just going to sing for all eternity, you know? Uh I'll be honest, that would bore me to death. Like, I'll, I'm a musician, but I, I, it would kill me if I, you telling me that heaven is standing there singing for eternity. Um, I think we're still going to learn. We're still going to grow. We're still going to discover. God created Adam and Eve and, and, and did what? Gave them charge over the garden, over the earth. And told them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I don't know about the multiply part, but what I'm talking about is the, they had responsibilities. Adam named the animals. Come up with a name. What are we going to call this one? 
you know, I don't know. I mean, he had to cut it and make him a sin. sin. Sin was not related to that. That was his responsibility. I think we'll do that. I think we'll discover. We'll grow. It says to enjoy God forever, to know God, whatever. That, that, that is a process. I could say I know Molly. But I can guarantee you there's a lot about Molly I still don't know. We've been married 22 years. Um, I guarantee you in 20 years from now, I'll know her different than I know her now. So we're going to know him by having a relationship with him that's ongoing. Um, and no, there's no sin, but that also doesn't mean you might not make mistakes. Think of it like think of it like a game, think of it like a, a golf game or something where you're playing golf but you're not hitting a hole in one. Is that a, did you sin against God because you didn't hit a hole in one? If you threw your club and cussed, yeah. Okay, but if you just not just failing to hit it means nothing. You go back, you say, "Oh, okay, I see what I did," and you line back up and you try again and you do it again. You get a little closer. And then, okay, I'm figuring this out, and then you get a little. But without the frustration and the anger and the bitterness and all of that of failure, that's gone. It's it's learning. It's not like you can perfectly do everything. That would be boring too, wouldn't it? Nothing would be fun anymore. Sun, moon, and stars, they're still there because we just read it in Psalms. They, they're there for almost like a memorial, I think, for like a calendar. They still, we can clock back the days to when Christ died on the cross and started all of this. You know, we've got a memorial to when that happened. Or discovery. Imagine being able to go explore. I don't know what that looks like. You know, are we going to fly through space? I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just saying, imagine being able to explore the planets. We're, we're doing that now through NASA, for crying out loud. If we can reach those heights, imagine what you could do if God unleashed you to do whatever you wanted in his creation. I think those things are still there for that, that reason. The tree of life, we just read it, it's back. The same tree that was in the garden in the beginning, it's back. That tree... Uh, provided eternal life, the presence of that tree. It's not like there was a miracle elixir in it. It was just that the presence of that tree was the presence of eternal life. It's back. And there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's gone. No option for sin at this point. Not that anybody wants to anyway. No option. So how does it close? How does the whole series that we've just done for, you know, going on two years, a year, year and three quarters, how does it close? Look at the last of the verses. Look at verse 7, chapter 22. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon or quickly, imminently. That's what that word means, imminently coming. It could be any day. Blessed is the one who keeps the words and the prophecy of this book. Look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon. Look at verse 20. He who testifies these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the last words, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. I'll never forget, as long as I live, she already knows I'm going to say it, uh, Molly reading through the whole Bible the first time, like cover to cover chronologically. Kind of what we just did, but she read it. She was reading it all. It took a year or whatever. And we were sitting in the the bed, and she was reading it in the evening or whatever, and, and she's beside me, and I look over, and she's crying and sniffling, and I'm like, what, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she's like, that's what she does. She, like, closes it. That was the perfect ending. <laughs> but I love that because it's so true. It is. It's the perfect ending. The perfect ending. And listen to me. If you're in Christ, that's your hope.
If you've given your life to Christ, that's your hope. I ain't got no other words, man. So let's stand and sing about it, huh? Uh, they're going to come back up and do that. And I'll tell you what. I'm going to pray. And if, look, if if you hadn't made that decision, if you're like, man, I, I want to believe that. I want to hope in that. But how do, how, how do I have that hope? I'm going to tell you, man, you ask him for it. It's that easy. You just tell him, Jesus, I need that. Like, I want that. I want you. I know I've done this my own way for long enough, and I'm sick of it. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to fight these battles. I don't want to deal with this junk no more. I want that hope. It's not much more complicated than that. If you start there, the next thing is repentance, but that's not you. That's him. He walks you through that and draws you towards him and away from all those things. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. You're awesome and amazing. Thank you for such an incredible story. Um, and when I say story, I'm not talking about a fantasy. I'm talking about the story of your, your history and your future, which are both silly things because you're eternal. But knowing that we have hope of paradise eternal, God, that we have that hope only because you promised Eve something in the beginning. Only because you patiently waited for so long that you delivered your son, your only son, to a cross at the perfect moment in history to pay for all of that sin, Lord. The sin past, the sin present, sin period. To nail it to a cross and defeat death, the impossible. To defeat death because I have no hope of doing that. I can die on a cross. I just can't get back up. But you did that. You did that for me. I can't. I can do good things, but I can't not sin. No matter how hard I try, at some point it happens again, but you nailed it to a cross and said, I could be free of it. It's paid for. Man, God, that's amazing. And if that weren't enough, paradise, not because of gold, because of you. Man, Lord, you're just amazing. And I pray if there's anybody here today that has not let you have their life, God, please. Open their eyes to see who you are today. Let this be a day, no matter where they go out of this door, where their life is just not the same. God, you are awesome. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.